Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. At Strayer University, we see you striving to work harder and go further. That's why we provide you with the tools you need to get there, like offering a brand-new laptop when you enroll in a bachelor's program. So you can do your coursework anytime, anywhere, and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Eligibility rules, restrictions, and exclusions apply. Connect with us for details. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Welcome to the Across the Sky podcast, a weather, climate, and science-focused podcast for a general audience. We are so glad that you're here with us today. I'm meteorologist Kirsten Lang, and I'm joined by my fellow colleagues, Matt Holliner in Chicago, Sean Seblet in Richmond, and Joe Martucci in Atlantic City. And together, we make up the Across the Sky weather team from Lee Enterprises. Lee is a publication company with over 70 properties in cities across the United States. We're talking today with Paul James about fall foliage and the changing colors. And, you know, the interview with him is great. I love listening to what he has to say about that. He's just, uh, he's very knowledgeable in the entire subject. Well, I brought it up in our top 10 things to know about fall episode. One of the reasons I like fall so much is because of the fall foliage, which was disappointing growing up in San Antonio. But once I left San Antonio and moved to places like Richmond, Virginia, and Cincinnati, Ohio, and now that I'm in Chicago, oh man, just some beautiful color. And I've been up in the Northeast in October and seen the beautiful fall color there. So if you live in a place that doesn't have good fall color, make it a trip sometime to go to some place that does, because it is one of the joys of fall for sure. So it was good to chat with Paul all about it. And as Paul said, come to New Jersey for fall foliage. And we'll hear about that in the uh, in the pod. Yes, this pod apparently was brought to you by the state of New Jersey. New Jersey and you <laughs> perfect together, just ask Joe Martucci. Uh, but, you know, I like, hey, I like my colors here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. We get those beautiful fruity pebbles colors along yeah. Skyline Drive and, and the Blue Ridge Parkway. And we're getting very close to peak here uh, in the mountains of Virginia. But the other thing I liked about this, about Paul, was... So many times we're asked as meteorologists, well, what makes for good fall color? And he's like, eh, it, <laughs> I'm like, okay, good. I feel a lot better now. All right. And with that, let's get onto our interview with Paul James. Well, today we have on Paul James, an American gardener who may be best known as the gardener guy from his long running show on HGTV, Gardening by the Yard. He now lives in Tulsa, Oklahoma, semi-retired, but that's how I got to know him. And he works for Southwood Garden Center, where he continues to educate the public about all things that are related to gardening, flowers, yards, and trees. And that's where we're going to pick up with him today is the science behind the changing colors and all things fall. So Paul, welcome on. We are so happy to have you today. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. You know, we wanted to talk a little bit, this is very timely, of course. Uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about the science behind changing leaves. So I kind of wanted to just jump in with the broad question uh, as to why it is that a leaf actually changes it color and why do you see some yellows and then you see some orange and some red why do they all uh, vary in colors when they change it all has to do with pigments 
they are chemicals that are in the leaves. And what we see primarily throughout the growing season is an abundance of chlorophyll in leaves, which is a pigment that makes them green. But when that chlorophyll production is shut off, and we get into that in a moment, when that's shut off, then the other pigments that are there begin to show themselves. So you have carotenoids is a type of pigment, and those are responsible for orange and yellow. You have xanthophylls that will give you, they're not quite as colorful, but they'll still give you some color. And then the anthocyanins, which give you the beautiful reds, sometimes even purplish colors. So that's what happens. The chlorophyll, which is there in abundance, gets shut off, and all those other pigments have an opportunity to really show themselves. So Paul and, and Joe here. So I, I guess what you're saying is the chlorophyll, right? It's like the dominant, I guess, pigment you could say. And and why is that? It's the dominant pigment throughout the growing season by virtue of photosynthesis. Photosynthesis where plants basically are leaves are eating photons uh, from the sun and producing that abundance of chlorophyll. So that's why virtually all plants that we're familiar with have green leaves throughout the growing season. Hmm. But just to follow up on that, right? So photosynthesis then you're saying is is the king above all, right? So whatever's happening with the photosynthesis is is number one. But I guess I'm trying to dig out, maybe I'm getting too deep here, but why is that the primary thing? Like why isn't it just a different kind of pigment that that's primary? Because that's the pigment that is responsible for growth and producing energy and, you know, gotcha. helping the plants survive. Yeah. Got it. Comes with the territory. Yes. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah. And I get that on my, uh, on my tennis shoes all the time when I'm cutting grass as well with all that chlorophyll on the, on the tennis shoes. Uh, another question for you about, about the changing leaves. Um, you know, my understanding is that as the nights get longer, we have longer bits of, of nighttime. Uh, that's kind of the, the key or the trigger for most plants or or most of the tree, uh, trees to say, okay, well, it's time to shut down for the season. But what other kinds of, of phenomenon out there, if, whether it's, you know, weather, drought, heat, anything like that can can affect how the leaves look or, or when they actually change by a few weeks here or there? In the botanical world, we actually explain it in the reverse. We say that the days get shorter of course. So, uh, rather than the nights get longer. So as the days get shorter, that triggers a chemical response in the trees, wherein the little, I don't want to get too technical either, but it's called a petiole. you got the leaf, and then you've got this little stem that's known as a petiole, and that's attached to the main branch or limb of the tree. So when those days get shorter, that triggers what's known as the abscission layer, which is where that petio connects to the main part of the tree. It triggers it to just shut off. And that prevents any additional chlorophyll production. So the chlorophyll disappears and all those other pigments rise to the surface. Now, there's a, a gazillion different variables here. That, and, and it can be somewhat challenging to um, actually... Actually, there's not a ton of research to substantiate a lot of the claims, such as to what extent does weather play a part? Are temperatures really that critical to the change? Is moisture level in the soil that critical a factor? I think you have to look at it in 
in its entirety. I think all of these conditions have an effect on our fall color, whether it's going to be spectacular or ho-hum. But without a doubt, first and foremost, the most important consideration is genetics. Because if the tree does not have the genetics in it, if it's not hardwired to produce good fall color, then it's not going to. Well, one more thing about uh, about those other environmental things, because I've been working in weather for 30 years. I hear the same thing like, oh, this obviously ch affects it, and this obviously affects it. I'm like, ah, that's not the way I understand it. I hear there's a bunch of stuff in there that that kind of just all wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, as they say in, the, in Doctor Who. Um, but is it fair to say if if a tree is, is stressed, whether it is drought or or maybe overly wet, that that might uh, and might force it to kind of change a little earlier, or is that just is just that not just fair to say at all? I'd say it's likely, but again, that you know, despite the enormous interest in fall color, and by the way, the United States has some of the best fall color anywhere on the planet, despite the interest in it, the level of research that's been done is really kind of lacking. It's almost too bad because I don't think it would be that difficult to do experiments that would help us understand better why some years are better than others. It just hasn't been done to any great degree. And I guess what also complicates things is all the different species of trees out there and how they are going to respond differently to drought conditions or excessive rain. Because I know growing up in San Antonio and there's a good chunk of Texas until you get in maybe the far northern parts of Texas, fall color is not really a thing. You go from green to brown. Right. You don't get all those beautiful shades of, of yellow and orange. So is there anything about, you know, specific species of trees that are just well known for their vivid fall colors? Are there some trees that are just extra special when it comes to fall color? To use a San Antonio example, for instance, live oaks don't really have a whole lot of that pigmentation that I was talking about. They have very little, um, whereas the red oaks that are abundant in my part of the country are loaded with those pigments. So yes, it's even within a particular genus, be it oaks, uh, there can be a tremendous amount of variability in fall color. Okay, so just curious, Paul, have you where where have you seen, in your opinion, the most beautiful color here in the country? Uh, New Jersey. You know, I have a particular favorite, <laughs> and Joseph that's Jersey. <laughs> Jersey has great fall color. See, I wasn't lying. I know. No, 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 no. Are you kidding? It's the Garden State. Of course. I think I, you know, I've seen spectacular examples all over the country, particularly the Northeast, also the Carolinas, and throughout much of the Midwest. But one of my favorite single images of fall color has to be the quaking aspens in Colorado. I mean, to me, when you see those enormous groves of aspens and they're ablaze in yellow gold, it's just, it's astounding to me. Yeah, it, it is beautiful. I lived in Colorado for a couple of years and you better believe on my days off, I made sure I was going up there and hiking and seeing some of that because it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Okay, well, we're gonna take a short break and we'll be back after, uh, after the break here with Paul James. All right, we are back with Paul James. Paul, you know, we were talking all about uh, fall colors, how vibrant they are uh, in some spots of the country. And then of course the uh, contributing factors to making maybe one season 
better than another due to soil moisture drought. Uh, but the other thing too that. Uh, like I said, it may be an obvious answer, but in case someone's listening and just curious, can you explain why it is that the peak of fall foliage will start north and then just filtrate south through the country throughout the months of uh, October, November? Well, there again, that's uh, changes in day length, but that's where you can't, you almost have to conclude that temperature is playing a role as well because it's starting to get cooler sooner in the Northeast typically. And you see that progression from the the north to the south and the changes in the color. You know, the drought issue, though, is one that I think is interesting. It's pretty clear to me that during seasons where we've had considerable drought, that we have less spectacular fall color. That's really anecdotal, but I'm sure that, you know, at some point we'll figure it out on a more scientific level. But I've witnessed that myself, and not just here, but throughout the country where, you know, even places in the Northeast occasionally have droughts. So, you know, that factor, again, and we, we go back to all those things. The other thing in the Northeast is that they also have, typically have a greater variety of hardwood trees than a lot of other parts of the country. So there's so much more species diversity that you'll typically see a lot more color. The, you know, the ones that, that stand out, of course, are like maples. The the red in maples is just unbelievable. It's so gorgeous. But there, there are also oaks that produce great reds. Around here, we have the Chinese pistache, which can be, the color can be highly variable due to its genetics. Some of them are much more colorful than others. One that I've always loved that is kind of our own aspen is the ginkgo, which is to me also an underplanted tree. But the sad thing about the ginkgo is it gives you this enormously beautiful yellow foliage, but then overnight, typically within one night, all the leaves drop. It's kind of sad. Yeah, Paul, I was going to actually ask about that because, you know, I imagine that it does vary by species how long this process of the leaves changing and falling takes. Is there an average overall that you can look for? Or is it really across the gamut? Like how long this process takes for each different species of trees? Wind can certainly play a, <laughs> a big role in that. Um, I think we're going to be up to about 40, 45 miles an hour today. So I think um, we may lose a few of the leaves that are just slowly beginning to not change color, but that abscission layer I talked about before is starting to weaken. But no, I, I, I don't know that that there's a timeline for each species. Uh, I'm, I'm not aware of one. There may, it may exist, but I'm not aware of one. But I imagine that, yeah, as the, the as that abscission layer gets a little bit weaker and weaker, it's more likely that a wind, it'll take less and less wind to actually blow them off of the tree. So early on, it's going to really take maybe the 40, 45 mile per hour winds. But as you get later into the fall and those leaves are getting a little bit more wilted in the color, perhaps a little bit, you know, transitioning from that yellow to red, at least in some species, I guess it's more likely it's not going to take as much wind to blow it off. So that has a big impact. Sometimes, you know, it can be as calm as can be and you'll still see fall. the leaves. Right. Yeah. Hey, Paul, I want to go back to something Matt briefly touched on the first half. And as a as a lifelong northerner, I still kind of fail. To well, yeah, where, you, where are you from, Joe? I, you know, some people tell me New Jersey. 
Every once in a while, they tell me I'm from New Jersey. I, like I don't to know tease if it's the sometimes or... lives in Central Jersey. Well, that's another story, right? Uh -huh. well, Paul knows about Central Jersey because his son went to Princeton, right. right smack dab in Central Jersey. I mean, he's pretty much an expert on this. Lawrence Township, Elizabeth. Uh, yeah, I know the area. I, well, I grew up in the town next to Elizabeth, Union, New Jersey, right down uh, Broad Street over there. But anyway, maybe I'm asking this on behalf of all my northern, all of our northern listeners here. So, you know, down in the south, and I'm talking like San Antonio um, or maybe New Orleans, you know, there. I, I, I've been down there in even like January and I still see, you know, leaves on the trees or I've been there and they haven't. It just seems very finicky down south, like far down south to me. How does that process work? Because obviously you're not getting the temperatures that you're getting up in the north and you still have longer days as you go into, you know, October and November compared to places up north. So what determines the foliage process there and when can those or do those leaves if those leaves come off the trees? I can't say with certainty, Joe. I, I can only conclude that, again, it's genetics. Weather certainly may play a role, but I would I would tend to think that genetics is the principal factor in those occurrences. Okay. No, it's it just because I feel like here in New Jersey, and again, I'm not just saying New Jersey because I'm from New Jersey, but, you know, in the Northeast, by about Christmas, these leaves are off the trees. Right. And then but in some places I know when I've gone south, they're not off the trees by then. So maybe, you know, like you said, probably genetics. I don't know. I'm just asking the question. I'm genuinely curious. So I appreciate the answer. We have years where on oaks in particular around here, where the leaves remain for months and months, well past what you would ordinarily expect to be the, the drop time. So, I mean, that to me, that suggests that whether plays a role. I just don't know what that role truly is. What's particularly bad is when a lot of the trees hold their leaves for a longer period of time, and then we have an ice storm. Yeah. Those early season ice storms are very impactful. Sure. Yeah. The weight on those trees is just enormous. I mean, I'll even share something. You know, we had um, Superstorm Sandy come through in October 29th of 2012, as you could probably imagine, that's pretty close to peak foliage here. And the amount of just leaves, I remember the day after, you know, it hit or two days after walking on my street and it was just covered in leaves, you know, because everything got ripped off with the wind right. that we had, you know, gusts in the 50s and 60s for hours on end. Yep. It's a Yeti brother. <laughs> I, I knew I liked it, Paul. I mean, New Jersey, we got the Yeti mugs. Life's good. Everybody loves a Yeti mug for sure. Um, <laughs> they should be sponsoring the dang podcast. If they they should. should. Hey, Yeti, if you're listening, listen, we're all big fans here. And all the people who have New Jersey ties have the Yeti mug, including Sean. That's where I got it. I got it when I was in Jersey, and it's lasted this long. Yeah, see? <laughs> you know, they do say what Trenton makes, the world takes. Trenton being right next to the place. Yeah, I've seen that bridge, man. Yeah. Wow. It's a it's a very cool bridge, but I'll digress. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to bore our listeners with Trenton, New Jersey. <laughs> this has turned into a Jersey pod is what this has turned into. <laughs> we're irresistible we're irresistible i like it i like it you know there, there are places throughout the world where there is no fall color i mean yep. if, if you've ever been to england in the fall you will rarely see any fall color really um, in fact one of the plants this is true one of the plants that is intentionally planted at the base of trees to provide fall color is poison ivy Oh, huh. 
<laughs> because it does produce spectacular fall color. Really? I guess it's better to be yeah. good for something. So what color yeah. does poison ivy turn? Oh, it's a, a magenta. Uh, it's really pretty. Wow. Really? Well. Even here? Yes. <laughs> really? Yes. Well, that's a dead giveaway because I've always gone by the, you know, leaves of three, let it be or whatever it is. It, but if it's just turning magenta, well, then that's a <laughs> giveaway not to touch it. Oh, it's, it's really, it's quite beautiful. I mean, if you're itching to plant it, go ahead. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> Sorry, um, there aren't that many gardening joke opportunities. No. So, yeah. <laughs> I want to ask a little bit. This is not quite as much fall foliage, foliage. That word always trips me up, but fall foliage related. But, you know, we talked once about leaf scorching here. And with overnight lows, uh, this happened... When was it last summer? Overnight lows in particular were just so warm and they were staying above 80 degrees here in Tulsa and we were seeing leaf scorching um, that was happening. Can you explain a little bit about that and if that would impact the fall color you know, in the coming seasons? Yeah, the scorching can be the result of a couple of things. First of all, just intense sunlight can cause scorching. But what you're referring to is when our overnight temperatures you know, at, at 11 o'clock at night, it's still in the 90s. That can be devastating for plants because they need a chance to cool off at night. Cellular growth in plants actually takes place at night. So they need an opportunity to rest and chill um, so that that cellular growth can, can take place. Um, when it's that warm, it just doesn't happen. So that's a really, and, and a lot of people don't understand that, but, and there's nothing you can do about it, unfortunately, but, um, it, it can do a number on plants where you have a lot of plants here that are killed as a direct, direct result of overnight temperatures being excessively warm. And it's really a drag to be out on the patio at 11 o'clock at night, you know, when it's 90 degrees. Oh, I know. Not like that today though, in Tulsa, it's feeling no. good. Feels great. No, nice. so does that does that um, have any effect then on the color that following fall? It would almost certainly have to, simply because it is causing a disruption in cellular activity. So things won't be normal with that plant, and it, it could take it a full year to recover if it recovers at all. So yeah, I would think that would have a a, a negative impact on its ability to produce good fall color. And Paul, for people who have trees in their yard and they want to get the best color out of them possible, have you come across any research or in your years of gardening, things people can do to help care for the trees, to perhaps give them a little bit of a boost to help that fall color a little bit? No. <laughs> we love being honest here. Poison ivy. Poison ivy. Maintaining good health in the tree means you're going to have to water routinely unless rains do the job for you. Fertilization is another component that is important to maintain good cellular growth. You know, not disturbing the root system. Roots are key. All those things are going to combine to, you know, produce a healthier tree. And a healthier tree is more likely to do what you want it to do in fall, namely produce that great color. 
I've heard some uh, talk about putting vitamins in your trees. Like they're things that you could be inserted around the base of the tree that supposedly gives them a boost in addition to fertilizer. This was something that was occurring in San Antonio when I was growing up, how it improves the health of the trees, these like vitamin supplements for trees. Do you know anything about that? And the, does that have, does that really have an impact or is that just more one of those things like uh, just something to get money out of people's hands? <laughs> vitamins, I would suggest are pure nonsense. But there, there is a fungus, a beneficial fungus. You know, when gardeners hear the term fungus, they usually think, oh, no, it's terrible. No, there's some very beneficial fungi out there, in particular the mycorrhiza, of which there are numerous strains. But mycorrhiza are essential to plant growth and can really, if, if you add mycorrhiza to your soil, it can go a long way toward helping any plant that grows, whether it's a tree or shrub or flowers. And what that is, it's a fungus that attaches itself to the roots and enables, it's, it's a symbiotic relationship. It helps the roots absorb nutrients more effectively. The vitamins are snake oil. <laughs> That's good to know. One less thing to spend money on. That's all, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Well, Paul, thanks for joining us uh, today. We had a great time talking with you about the leaves and about Jersey, because we got a lot of that in today. So thanks so much for being on. We really appreciated it. I thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. All right. Paul James, you know, had so much information to give us just on the science behind changing leaves, the, you know, how weather may or may not contribute to that uh, as well. But I really, I agree with him. He, and, and I know Joe, you're going to say that he favored Jersey, but he did when we asked him the question, he did say what, what was his favorite place? Colorado. Colorado. I know. And it's so pretty out there. It really is during the fall. It is. It is. I just think in Colorado, right? Isn't it like mostly the yellow? Like there's not like a lot of oranges and reds, right? Isn't it mostly yellow out there? There's not a lot of reds. I, yeah. I, I'm with them. It's mainly, I think those yellows from the aspens is what you, what you. That's where my brain immediately goes is to the, yeah. to the yellow gold aspens. Yeah. Which is, which is nice. Joe's getting defensive. I'll just stop it. It's nice. <laughs> it's nice. I think one of my big takeaways is that, you know, there's still a lot we don't know. There's there there needs to be more research, you know, when we especially as the climate is changing now. I mean, now we're seeing that temperatures aren't as cold as they used to be in the fall and we're experiencing more excessive rain events and drought events. And how do different species of trees respond to that? Because it's, it's it seems to be not only different by region, but even the species of trees in those regions are impacted differently. So it's just an area that needs a lot more research. And again, it, you know, it's one of those things that everybody talks about fall color and there's so much interest in it, but there's still a lot we don't know. So we look forward in the years to come to learning more and understanding more. All right. And so what we've got coming up uh, next week, you know, just kind of staying on this this whole topic of seasons, we're going to talk a little bit about the winter weather outlook and what you can expect for the cold months coming up. So that's coming up next week. And Joe, if anybody wants to contact us and ask us questions, we would love to answer them. Joe, can you give them that contact information? Totally. So you can drop us a voicemail at 609 609- 272-7099. That's 609-272-7099. And in the break offline, Matt was telling us that his mom is listening to the podcast. So hello to, I don't know Mama her name. Renee. 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 <laughs> so hello to Renee. So Renee, if you're listening and you want to give us a call, 
7099. It doesn't have to be Renee. It can be anyone. But uh, we by the way, Renee, Matt is doing just just the best job. We're so he proud is. of him. Yes, we are. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Every day. Such a smart kid. You did great. Yeah. <laughs> is there an email too, Joe, in case someone feels like they want to email instead? Yeah, sure. That would be uh, podcast at lee.net. Again, podcast at lee, L-E-E dot net. Well, guys, thanks for joining us this week on Across the Sky. We loved having you, and we hope to see you back here next week. At Zuri University, we've been empowering students to pursue their goals for over 130 years. From innovative degree programs and helpful tools to campus locations focused on creating community for international students, we can help you find your way forward. We even offer international students 25% off tuition on select degree programs. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Eligibility rules, restrictions, and exclusions apply. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.